0: Good evening. Oh, let's see. Did I grab the right mic? Who did I? Who's did I grab? I think I did. Yeah. Sweet, sweet. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Uh, grace and peace. So good to be with you all. My name is Brett, and the pastor here. And uh, did y'all have a good week. Yeah. 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 Pretty good. That sounded very unenthusiastic. <laughs> I don't believe you at all. I think half of you were sick. Who here was sick this week? Not half of you, but a number of you, dude. I had something—I don't know—very bad flu, or no, very bad cold, minor flu, one of those two. Somewhat the middle of my week, it was just so terrible. I'm and I'm bad when I'm sick. I'm just not. I know everyone's kind of bad, but like, I'm like I'm a terrible parent. Oh my gosh, I cannot parent. Maggie, my wife, should just take over. I'm just like, what do you You know, I'm just oh my god, I just have no patience. I have no filter. It's bad. Um, but it was like, so I was down Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then by like Thursday I was kind of recovering, by Friday I felt great, uh, and, uh, and that night Maggie's like, hey, you're feeling better, I was like, I am, I mean, I was just smiling, it was like a resurrection, I was just like, life is beautiful, I love the world, oh my gosh, I was so happy, so I'm back, back and, uh, here, now the thing is, I did write this message when I was sick, so... <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible. Just blame it on that. I did notice as I was practicing it this morning, I was like, ooh, this is kind of edgy. It's got some edge to it. There's just raw flu sermon. So um, <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. But we are, um, we're in, let's see, what's our series? God of the Oppressed. Didn't forget. Uh, God of the Oppressed is our series. And um, kind of our big idea, uh, our main contention has been uh, that. Um, basically that God is on the side of the poor and oppressed. And and kind of what we named was pretty straightforward. It was basically that any so-called gospel uh, that is not good news for the poor, the marginalized, um, the dispossessed, that simply is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Because Jesus came preaching, he said, I I have come uh, to bring good news to the poor, uh, to set the captives free, to set every oppressed person free. Uh, that's the beginning of Luke, which we'll actually touch on again. Um, we touched on it last week, but we'll get into it uh, also later in the message. Uh, I mean, this, it just goes right to the heart of Christian faith, right to the heart of Jesus' ministry. And, and we also name that it's not just Jesus, but really it's all the way from the beginning. You go all the way back to like a book as early as the Exodus, which for those who know their Bible, it's like Genesis. Exodus, right there. And you already have this whole story, right? If you're familiar with it, of the the Israelite, the Jewish people, under what? Under uh, oppression, oppressed by the Egyptians. They're enslaved, 400 years, they're crying out. And what does God do? He leads them with, uh, as the, the author put it poetically, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm led them forth out of Egypt, right? The whole party in the Red Sea, all that. And I mean, what's God's already sort of setting his agenda. He, he's showing this is the kind of God I am. And really from front to back, like the whole Bible, you um, often don't think of this, but it really is written from the perspective of an oppressed people. Uh, I mean, the Jewish people, it's, it's interesting, even as we read the text, like they had some high moments, like Solomon's reign. They were kind of like, woohoo. I mean, they were never like the strength of a Babylon or an Assyria, even though, you know, the way they'll describe it a- at times, they're kind of like, we're awesome. But, I mean, you know, if you know sort of your Bible history and such, like they were pretty small, you know, in the, in the big wide world. Uh, they were always pretty small. And because of this, they were always under threat. You know, you have a lot of verses in the Bible about, oh, Lord, deliver us. You know, if you're not there for us, we are nothing. And that wasn't just, you know, poetry. That was like how they lived their life, right? It really was written uh, from uh, the place of a people who were uh, felt constantly under threat. Uh, And so that's really the whole perspective of the Bible. But, you know, as sort of modern American people, we often miss this because of course, we bring our own eyes, our own experiences to the text. And, you know, if you're an American, Um, at least in the global stage, we're kind of not so much the oppressed in that, you know, in that political sense, global politically uh, speaking, Um, right? So we do, we bring kind of different eyes to the text. So that's kind of been the heart of the series is just to get back a little bit to some raw kind of Christian faith and kind of re-understanding who God is. Uh, And so as I was reflecting this week um, in my feverish haze, (laughs) um I was thinking about uh just some of the reasons like um that we well like we know this at one level you know I don't when I preached the message the, the first message in the series was last week you know when I was preaching this I don't think there was too many people here who were like wait what you know God's on the side of the poor and they, you're kidding me um you know like yes we you know I've heard these things, it's kind of in the water, even in just in the culture. I mean, even if you're not familiar with church, you might've had this idea of God, you know, being a God of justice or, and such. So it's sort of like, yeah, like we get it, you know? And no one's probably shocked to hear me talk about Jesus loved the poor and was a voice for the voiceless. And you know, it's not like, huh? I mean, yes, we get it. Um, and yet it's interesting how we, uh, you know, it's like we, we kind of want to live into it, you know, and we kind of do, you know? But it's something about Mondays, you know? It's sort of like Sundays, we're like, yes, that is so true, I am changing the way I live. And then it's like Mondays just eat you, al- eat me alive. You know, just like you just get caught, caught up in life. And the way I've used this metaphor before of swimming in the ocean, and you've ever been swimming in the ocean, it's like you think you're headed one direction, um, and yet there's a current, And it's like, you're going this way, but the current is sending you that way. And you keep looking up, thinking, I should be closer. I should be more that. And yet it's like the current is just, and I feel like that's a little bit of how um, our experience in culture is. That it's sort of like, we want to swim towards the, the shore of the true gospel of Jesus. And yet we're just constantly being pulled out to the ocean of indifference. And uh, at least I am, you know? And so I've just been reflecting like, why? why? What, what is going on? Uh, and so kind of here's my big idea for, um, for tonight. Uh, and it gets a little bit of what's going on. Um, I think there's a tendency in specifically, I'll just speak for the United States, not like all of global Christianity. This is my context. This is what I know. So I'll just say in, in the United States, I think there's a tendency uh, for Christian faith, to be understood as something that is very, um, very, it's private, it is um, inward, uh, and, uh, and and just very, it's, it's just something, you know, you keep it sort of to yourself in a way. Um, the language I wrote down was private, inward, personal, uh, as opposed to, so not, you know, public, external, political. It's like, a no, 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 no. Like just, you know, there's just this tendency to understand this is how, this is what Christian faith is. It's, it's private, it's inward, it's um, deeply personal. So the title of my message tonight, uh, and I'll unpack more of what I mean by this, uh, is a, a political Christianity. So if you're a note taker, you can write that down, a political Christianity. Um, and I wanna begin by kind of unpacking a few ideas. I see some eyes people are already doing like, where is he going? (laughs) Buckle up, y'all. It was a feverish haze. So here we go. Um, So, uh, But it is brutally honest. Maybe that's where, um, maybe it'll be good, hopefully. Um, So I want to start off with just giving you a few assumptions, but these are bad assumptions. Three bad assumptions for what Christian faith is. Uh, Bad assumption number one is that Christianity is private, not public. Uh, so in this, in the, again, in the United States, there's this sort of pervasive idea that, um, you know, Christian, like faith, really any faith is, I mean, it's nice, you know, it's nice to be something. Um, that's great, you know, for people. Uh, just don't bring it into the world. You know, it's sort of like, shut up about it. Uh, you know, it's nice like to wake up in the morning, say your prayers. That's good. Good for you. Um, just don't bring it you know, to the boardroom at work. My God, like, what are you thinking? Uh, and by the way, I'm not talking this whole time, I'm really not talking about, I'm not trying to advocate that you're like the annoying Christian who's just constantly like, hey, everyone, I'm a Christian, just so you know. You know like, I'm, I'm talking about bringing um, your whole faith, all the values you know, all the beliefs, all the the ways that you should live differently. I'm talking about bringing that, right? And this is sort of where we get tripped up because we, we just, it's, you know, it's being religious, that's super cute, you know, but it's, it's, but it's just, it's personal. It's something for whispered prayers. It's a, um, it's a dinner table conversation, you know, with family. Um, but it's not lunchtime conversation with, you know, it you know, people you may not know very well. This is why it's fascinating in our culture how at precisely the point when we've abandoned and sort of totally said, do not talk politics and religion, just don't talk about it, is precisely when we've become totally incapable of having a sane conversation about what? Politics and religion, right? And I wonder if um, if we, we'd need to Teach ourselves, teach our children, not to avoid these topics. I mean, because honestly, these are the topics that matter. Uh, but we've got to learn how to have them. All right, that's a footnote. Um, so uh, so I've been thinking, like, okay, so how does this hook up with this idea of the poor and oppressed, though? You know, like, private, public, okay, wh- what? Um, well, it's because, right, uh, poor and oppressed and struggling and voiceless and marginalized folks. Um, how we go about relating to them and even helping to make them less that way, you know, like to do God's work in the world is a very public conversation, right? It's, it's inevitably gonna mean like things in the actual world happening, right? Um, I love this quote, this is from Dom Helder Kamara. Uh, He was a Brazilian Catholic Archbishop. He said, "When I give food to the poor, they call me a saint. When I ask why the poor have no food, they call me a communist." (laughs) And I don't—I have actually no idea whether he was. I kind of doubt it, knowing he was uh, Catholic. Um, But uh, but it's—but you can see there, though, right? The distinction where, right, when he's giving food, sort of quietly to the poor, they're like, "Ah, it's good for you." Good for, we like that. You know, when he starts asking the what? The public question. Why is this the way, um, oh, I just talked, Desmond Tutu. He, the way he put it was, he said, um, he used the metaphor of a river. He said, if you keep find yourself having to, metaphorically speaking, pulling bodies out of a river, he said, eventually, it kind of makes sense to go up the river and say, hey, what is going on up here, right? And that's, see, that's the thing, right? Sort of like, that's good for you, you know, caring for the poor people and, but all of a sudden we start having that conversation, whoa, crap, no, 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 you go back to your little cutesy religion, you know? Uh, so this is the idea, right? Christianity, this is a bad assumption, I think. Christianity is private, not public, uh, and uh, second, second bad assumption. You can tell these all kind of tie in very closely together. Uh, Christianity, it is inward, not, outward uh, in other words we, we kind of assume that you know Jesus he is about saving you know my soul you know the the spiritual part of me it's it's a and, and by the way this is I think true in the sense of yes there is an inner transformation that's essential right that we are transformed inwardly yes uh, but what happens is we just sort of stop it there does that make sense so now it's just you know, that's good for you, changing. Jesus saved, he saved your heart, you know, and we're, everyone's fine with that as long as it stays there. We just, we want it inward, right, not outward. We don't want this total life transformation. I had this all the time when, uh, back in the day when I was a youth pastor. And you know, people, they love this in their kids to youth group, you know, get some good morals, You know, good moral training, which by the way is true, I think, like that's that's true. And there is a good inner transformation. I saw some kids' lives dramatically changed, right? So I'm not trying to belittle that, but when all of a sudden that kid started changing their plans for what they were going to do after they graduated high school and it wasn't just about how they could make the most money, right? And all of a sudden they're like, wait, 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 what? what have you been teaching these children, right? They're like, I want to spend my life devoted to the poor. You know, And they're like, oh my God. Can you see how this happens, right? It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. just this is Jesus supposed to save my soul. I didn't think he was going to save all of me. I didn't think he was going to transform way with my whole life. Um, <laughs> is, this, is this too cynical? <laughs> I hope it's not. Only two of you laughed. Um, um, but it's true, I think. It's true. Um, there's, a, there's a passage that I think often we misinterpret that's along these lines. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Uh, it's a famous... I actually referenced this last week. Um, just a quick nod to it. Uh, so it's the story of Nicodemus. It was a, a religious leader. So now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, that means like teacher, we know that you are a teacher come from God. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is... You recognize the phrase? Born again he cannot see the kingdom of god perhaps no more two more misunderstood words in all of christian at least american christianity as born again because how do we often interpret it right it's back to this idea jesus is saving my little heart You know, and I walked that aisle and had this little inward, quiet transformation. And don't worry, I won't raise any trouble. You know, it's sort of this this kind of, now, again, am I trying to belittle that process? No, because that can be powerful, right? To walk an aisle, to receive Christ. That could be, but it's a starting point, right? It's a moment, but it's like, it's sort of like a fuse of dynamite. It's like, and you light that fuse, right? And people are fine with that. It's just don't let that dynamite go off right don't don't we don't want like a total radical transformation can you see where this goes right when actually what does born again mean i mean if you think about the metaphor it's pretty straightforward it's like total change it's like i was living one way jesus got a hold of me in his vision of the kingdom and his vision of life in the world and, and i mean the whole world like my whole life not just my little church life i mean my whole life gets what just flipped upside down uh and all of a sudden you know it's raised in a ruckus and by the way this is why i mean just to jump way ahead this is why jesus was killed right like he wasn't killed for being a super sweet guy right but this is how we think of jesus like he's sweet he's just a sweetheart it's like and then to be christian is just to be a sweetheart it's like god now kindness you all know my heart i'm rancy i'm still maybe a little sick I, th- I thought i was over it but maybe i'm still, um <laughs> Uh, okay, I'm not going to get off on that. Let me keep moving here. Um, Yeah, so born again, it's a transformation, right? It's a radical, crazy thing. makes people do crazy things. Now, I don't just mean crazy for the sake of crazy. I mean, loving things, but just things, you know. Yeah, all right. Third bad assumption, we'll keep moving here. Christianity, it is personal. This is, again, bad assumption. It's personal. It's not Political, which comes back to the title of the message. Um, Now, let me nuance this a bit, because I I, I know why people get jumpy. Um, Understandably, you know, politics, it's, uh, I mean, particularly in our whole post-truth age that we live in, it's just a mess, a mess and a half. And so, um, you know, to hear, you know, the pastor say something about politics, and it was just like, oh, my God. It's basically like, so you're saying, like, if, if, um, well, let me read a quote. This is from Rowan Williams, and he, he, the way he frames this, I think he's, he's not saying what he believes at first. He's saying this is how we often think of it. He says, politics um, carries with it that abiding sense of a corrupting or corrupted milieu. That means sort of like social environment. And so the language of faith, we say, ought not to be mixed in with the necessarily ambiguous and sometimes corrupt business of getting your way in the public world, right? So he's kind of framing the problem, like, see, that's the problem, man. Like, because this is how we understand politics, is it's just, so in other words, for the pastor to get up and say something about a political Christianity is to say, so you just wanna drag Christianity (laughs) through that mud? um or it means some sort of partisan play right and just to be clear um you'll probably never hear me get up here and do some sort of partisan you know God is on the side of such and such party (laughs) are you kidding me that's called heresy like God's kingdom I mean God's not even fully on the side of the table is that weird to say? I mean, the sense of the table's not some perfect church that God just says, well, this church has my endorsement. Everything they do is of me. Oh, are you kidding me? Like, we're human beings here. Okay, I mean, so much less a whole political party. I am so ranting tonight. Um, that's insanity, right? So I'm not saying that. So, but here's the, here's the difference. So Williams, he goes on to, to clarify. He says, um, he says, at its heart, politics, it's the science of living together, and that's a weird way to put it, science just means it's the study of, it's the conversation around how to live together. And so in that sense, right, you can see that Christianity has to be political or else what the heck is it? Like if it's not about how we live together, who's gonna eat? Who's gonna eat more and who's gonna eat less and who's gonna live? where and why and who's gonna get paid what and when and what are the values by which we're gonna structure everything who's valuable who's more valuable who's less valuable and why right all those that whole big conversation i mean that's called being human you know i mean honestly even families We just, we have to have these kinds of, you know, we have to figure out how to live together. And so I understand the heart behind it, right? Often people want to avoid a certain God is on the side of X, Y, or Z politician or thing. And so they say, we're not going to be political. So I get that, right? And I'm not saying that's what we should do. But I am saying at at the end of the day, politics is about how we live together. And so we can't just somehow cut Jesus off and say like, well, you know, I go to church for church. You know, but then I go and do some other philosophy or way of thinking or something for my politics. This makes, um, I'm afraid this just doesn't make sense. Uh, The way I actually, there's a quote that comes to mind. It's from a a theologian named Stanley Hauerwas. He says, only in America can we create the kind of Christians who say, Jesus is Lord, but that's just my personal opinion. (laughs) And you can see what he means there, right? It's sort of this idea of Jesus is Lord. He is king over everything, and and his values are the best values, and his way of living, it's it's everything. But, you know, I mean, I'm not, like, I would never want to advocate for that, like, as an actual way of, you know, like, being or anything. So I'm, can you see, this This doesn't even make sense. What do you mean by Lord, right? Um, Yeah, so this is uh, the problem. Okay, so... So what's what? What do we do? Um, in the last, just little third of this message, I want to unpack. I want to get to some of what I understand as the some of the political, um, the politics of Jesus, the values of Jesus, the just some of his teachings that I think have implications for how we live. And again, you won't hear me up here prescribing political policy. You know, of I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm not getting. That's not the point of a sermon. But I just want to get us thinking about so that we can take. Our, our Christian faith into the world, right? In, in a more thoughtful way so we don't, um, yeah, do it really poorly. So um, if I had to sum up the politics of Jesus um, in just just one image, uh, it would almost certainly be the image of the cross. And, um, there there was, I I don't remember if I've named this at the table, I definitely talked about this at the the last church that I planted, Um, that for me, someone who really helped me get clarity on Christian faith, to see it clearly, to see its heart, um, at a time when I was basically on my way out of the faith, uh, was probably the most unlikely person ever, uh, a gentleman named Friedrich Nietzsche, uh, who if you're familiar with Nietzsche, he was definitely not a Christian, Um, he was basically an anti-Christian, he was an atheist, um, but he had a, a criticism, a critique of the, the atheism. He called it sort of the fashionable atheism of his day. Uh, and what he said uh, was you poke at the soft spots of Christianity, you know, like, and there's plenty, I mean, there's things in the Bible, the, I don't, yeah, there's, there's plenty there, whether it's um, divine violence or you know, people doing things in the name of God that it's sort of questionable, was God really saying to do such, right? So you can totally just go on any, you know, internet site of just circle, you know, atheist critique of Christianity, I mean, you can find, but often, right, it's the soft spots. It's the sort of low hanging fruit that's sort of easy to, ah, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. And I mean, that's fair, right? It's, it's a fair thing to do, um, but, but Nietzsche said, here's the thing you're never gonna end, because he was very interested in ending Christian faith in a sense. Like he really thought this was the worst thing ever. And so he said, here's the thing, you gotta go for the jugular, man. And he said, I know what the jugular is. He said, here's the heart of Christianity. It is, it is a lifting up and identification of everything lowly and despised, and weak, and marginalized, and struggling with divinity itself. He says, they draw a correlation. Why? The cross. Because, because what happens on the cross, what does God do? God becomes himself. What? Weak and vulnerable. I mean, imagine it. you were saying this is who we worship, the crucified God. But God stripped naked, humiliated, I mean, talk about marginalized, voiceless, excluded, silenced, left for dead. I mean, this is, this is what God does, this is how God, God acts in the world. He takes this on, and when he does this, what's he doing? He's saying, I mean, it's my message last week, he's saying, I am on your side. If you've ever been voiceless, if you've ever been marginalized, if you've been mistreated for, I mean, a variety of reasons, if you found yourself there, God is with you. And, And Nietzsche said, that's freaking Christianity. And now for Nietzsche, this is why he's like, that's the most disgusting thing I've ever heard. He hated it. When I read Nietzsche, I was like, oh, my God, I'm a Christian. Like I love that's this is why I'm a Christian. Now, you can see right a very short leap from that to a certain kind of politics. And again, I'm not gonna like do it. I'm gonna do broad brushstrokes because I think honestly, each of us this would just be a big conversation among all of us, interpersonally at lunch over coffee, you know, for how do we work that out in the world? I'm not saying that's simple or like oh so let me tell you this is what you do. It's not that easy, but Make no mistake about it, when, when this is who God reveals himself to be, this just has tremendous implications for how we relate to one uh, another. Um, and how am I doing on time? I totally didn't bring 50, 50 sweet. Okay, let me, um, I'm going to touch on just a few little verses. And um, actually, don't even worry about putting them up, Don. Um, because I'm just thinking through the life of Jesus and like where we might see this in the Gospel of Luke. And I'll just close with some of these examples. Uh, for like, where do you, I mean, because now the cross example, that's sort of a big enough one, I think, to kind of say, that. well, it seems pretty clear. Um, but there's, I mean, but honestly, it's the whole, his whole life, his whole ministry, it's, it goes all the way back to his Mama Mary's song. Right? You think of the early chapters of Luke. Actually, Don, I lied. Just go ahead and put them on, it's the fine. <laughs> you can read them. Uh, this is what his mama said. Right? Can we think of Mary, she, what a sweetheart, <laughs> little Virgin Mary, you know, it's like, this lady was a little crazy. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. But, I mean, apparently she didn't get the memo like, don't you know what Christian faith is? It's like for Sunday school, you know? Uh, and this is his mama um and then we had actually i preached this a few weeks back the the whole desert temptations if you remember um jesus this is luke chapter 4 verse 5 this is probably the clearest temptation where the devil leads jesus into the desert and tempts him uh, and so the devil led him up to a high place showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world some of you remember this right and it's this moment where jesus can have it all like he can be he can be lord like in a sense he already was lord but this in a very concrete way like literally lord uh, controlling everything and in the worst kind of way like a coercive violent kind of power and that's what he's being offered and what does he do refuses he shall Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I mean, eventually that refusal, right, leads him to the cross where he says, this is how I work. This is how the kingdom comes. Ah, That's something we have to wrestle with, grapple with, figure out. What does that mean not just in my sweet little heart but in my ways of relating and living and uh, i mean honestly that like that kind of idea is where you get this strong tradition of christian pacif- pacifism in in christian faith um, and which honestly i wrestle with i would not call myself a christian pacifist um, but i can see why christians go there right even though from a Again, at a sort of an intellectual, secular standpoint, that's like the craziest idea ever. Uh, And by the way, pacifist means nonviolent, right? Um, So, yeah, that's just two examples. Um, uh, One last one. Which one should I choose, just for the sake of time? Um, Oh, I love this one. This is Luke 14. This is Jesus telling us who to invite to parties. Luke 14, 13, Jesus says, but when you give a banquet, or in other words, a party, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Isn't that the most interesting party ever? Because who do we invite to parties? Well, you know, like our friends (laughs) and or people we want to persuade, people we want to, you know, get on their good side. and, And you can see how Jesus is advocating for the something different, a different way of but I wouldn't argue it's consistent, right? Because that leads him all the way to the cross, right? The same guy who had the mama singing that song to him preaching these ideas to him dying on the cross in identification and solidarity with all oppressed peoples, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's a consistent thing. So what we as Christians have to do is grapple with that, wrestle with that. Oh. And so let me just close with this. Uh, a Christian understanding of God and what it means to be human and how we relate to one another inevitably leads us as a church family into, and honestly, the broader Christian family into some really important conversations uh, about how we live and relate together. And all I'm advocating for tonight, again, I'm not trying to get into details of policy or whatever, that's not, I don't, no, that's just not, not the point. But what I'm trying to argue for is to put Christ at the center of those conversations because I believe he was the wisest person who ever lived. I believe he's God in the flesh. So I think we would do really well to pay attention uh, to what he said. And so this means putting him at the center of everything, every conversation from abortion to war, from poverty, to gay rights, from nuclear weapons, to the roots of ongoing racial inequality. Uh, to be Christian is not to either A, run from those conversations, like, oh my God, that sounds like too much, or, or to somehow have those conversations, but like to take my Christian hat off. Nope, nope, no. Nope. To leave the Christian hat on, to wrestle with the pages of the New Testament that Jesus presented there, uh, and then Uh, to to bring Christ, to bring my Christian faith into those conversations. Some light ideas for you tonight. (laughs) Easy, (laughs) easy. Um, Yeah, but I hope, um, you know, my my heart in all this is just that we could be more faithful, more faithful to to love well. Because, you know, without this kind of meatiness and wrestling and discomfort, I know some of you feel real uncomfortable right now, um, that's okay. It's okay. Because um, without this, love becomes smarmy and precious momentsy. You know it's got no teeth. It's got no teeth for us to really figure out. What do we actually mean when we say we got to love each other. We got to love the world. you know That's what it means. So if you have complaints, questions, emails, <laughs> kick those to Karen. Karen at the tabletx.com. sure respond. Um, no. Feel free to have a conversation with me. All right. Let me, uh, let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, uh, we just thank you for uh, tonight uh, and how just faithful you are, God, to challenge us afresh and anew. Over and over, you just challenge us. And God, tonight, um, God, I just named that, that we don't, we don't have all the answers. And we don't really know uh, what to do and how to live well with one another. But God, we're hungry to learn and we want to learn from you. And so if you're here tonight and you just want to receive, you just want to begin a whole new connection with Jesus and a whole new conversation with him. Like you want to bring him into places in your life that you had never brought him. uh, I want to invite you just to say to him right now, Lord, Lord, Um, you you are the Lord, you are the king, you're the leader of my life, and so lead me. I will go where you lead. I will go where you lead. We love you. The life-changing name of Jesus I pray.